Hello and welcome into the KE Report. I'm your host, Chad Markwitz, and I'm speaking today with Eric Wetterling, also known as the Hedgeless Horseman. Post under hhorsemanceo.ca, also on Twitter under the Hedgeless Horseman, and runs the hedgelesshorseman.com, which we'll put a link to down below. Eric, it's always great having you on the show just to discuss the junior mining sector, what you're looking at, which stocks have your interest, some of the trends that you see in the space. I guess for today, we're just going to talk about a couple of companies, just pointing out again that they have news that the whole space is undervalued, but that you think there's some value drivers in these companies. And the first one that we have to talk about today is Brixton Metals. It's traded under the ticker BBB on the TSXV. And Brixton Metals has a couple properties. They have the Thorn Project, which has really a copper focus, but gold as well mixed in and some precious metals. They have the Atlan Gold Project, where they just put out some news recently. And then they do have Hog Heaven, which is gold and silver in Montana, currently optioned to Ivanhoe Electric, Robert Friedland's company. So a couple different projects they're working on. There's been some recent news out from the company, but I think most of the people are, are most interested in the Thorn Project. Walk us through the value proposition here. Why are you interested in Brixton, especially at their current market cap? Yeah, sure. Uh, So I just think that Brixton is one of those no-brainer, high-risk, high-reward bets. It's like when I tell people I think this sector is easy, it's because we can see things like this. I mean, where everything is cheap. That's what makes it easy to me as a value investor. But most people see it like if, if the market is trending up, that makes an easy sector. But that's very hard for me because then it's much harder to see what is undervalued, or to, if there are any, I mean, to find them. But anyway, going back to Brixton, I think it comes down to some common sense. I mean, the, the market cap is right now around 51 million Canadian. It's trading at like five-year lows. It's been down to the, these levels a few times now and then, basically, over the last five years. And this has typically been the bottom. It reached this level in 2020, 19, 2022, etc. And and then it goes up for whatever reason. So just let's say short wise, it doesn't spend too much time at levels like this. Of course, there's been dilution on top of it. So it's not like it's by definition as cheap just because the share price is the same because they have diluted. But when we, when you just think about it, it's like they received 14.5 million not too long ago. Okay, who were the ones that put money into the company? Well, it was BHP for the second time. BHP has a market cap of $241 billion. It's the largest mining corporation in the world. So if one just asks oneself, hmm, how much or what kind of value potential does BHP need to see for it to be worth their time. What would move the needle for that kind of company? I mean, 1% of their market cap is $2.41 billion. And again, Bricks and Metals has a market cap of 51, plus around 50 million in cash, plus an earning with Ivanhoe Electric, which are also famous for, I mean, it's Friedland, so you know they're hunting like elephants. They can earn up to 75 million percent of hog heaven so it's like okay if they do that what's 25 percent of a freeland type deposit worth uh, well a lot and then they have a few more projects like the langis silver cobalt project and uh, the atling gold fields and they have a bunch of targets at thorn but anyway let's just focus if we just go with thorn for example which bhp's 
interest is, I assume, because they don't really care about gold, like at the trapper target. I was like, what kind of chance of success is priced in at 51 million market cap? So it's like, if you would just go to 1% of BHP's market caps, that's 47 times the current market cap of Brixton. That's basic, though. So it's like, all I'm saying is that the market, if we exclude Ivanhoe's earning all cash, all the other projects, and just focus on Thorn, the market is pricing Brixton right now like there is no chance that they will ever find something that's worthy the time of BHP. And that's obviously a bit curious given that BHP does care about it since they did a second round of financing. So what I'm saying here is like, I have no idea what chance of success they have of finding something that is, let's say, tier one, world class in terms of scale at least. All I know is that it's pricing in almost no chance at all of them finding anything like that. So, so from my perspective, it's like mathematically, this has to almost just by common sense be a good risk reward bet. Even if the chance of success is 5%, that would make Brixton very undervalued, I think, in a you know, fire and forget scenario. Basically, okay, you know, I, I bought some shares at this level, then I come back in three years. Either they won't have found anything worthy of BHP, which is probably the base case. But if that were to happen, 51 million will obviously not be even remotely close. I mean, we saw Hercules Silver go up to 350 million from one hole and an investment by Barrick. So it's like, in my mind, I'm just thinking that, okay, they're going to spend 14 or 15 million, whatever, on drilling this coming season. If they hit one smoker of a hole, I think that this stock could go absolutely crazy because it's like it has a lot of catching up to do if it looks even remotely or if the chance of them having a BHP type deposit it looks even remotely true. Because 51 million market cap is pricing in absolutely nothing. It's pricing in nothing that should be, well, it's, pri- it's priced like BHP wouldn't care about them. That's what it's priced in like. So all I'm saying is that I have no idea what the chance of success is, but if the market, for some reason, uh, I mean, it's got to be a drill hole or two, gets a taste or like starts to believe that, wait a minute, this actually does have a chance of becoming something that's worth the BHP. I don't know what's going to happen, but 51 million market cap, it's not going to stay at 51 million market cap. That's what I'm saying. It's a good point, Eric, and I think that right now they're priced for, they haven't found that, they found some smoke, but they haven't found the fire yet, but they have a smoker of a hole, as you say, if they put out something that's a real zinger of a copper hole with some gold in it that would be BHP sized, it's easy to see how the market cap would increase, and that's discarding all the other projects. If any of those other projects have some action, if there's something with Ivanhoe Electric at the Hog Heaven or something big there, that would just be another kicker, but just from the Thorn property alone, you can see where if they spend $14.5 million in the flow through and put it in the ground this year, if they find something big, they could really create some value. The risk is if they don't hit. So we'll follow along with Brixton. Hopefully they do hit. The sector sure needs some more winning discoveries and some big partnerships that work out. So we'll keep our eyes peeled on Brixton. But let's move over to another stock that's got a lot of traction lately, and it's District Metals. Trades in the ticker DMX on the TSXV initially when we first started bringing Garrett on the show that we were talking about their zinc projects and their lead projects and their base metals projects. But over the last, let's say two years, 
they've really transformed to having a big focus on uranium. And they just recently put out some news earlier this year that they finished consolidating 100% of the Beacon Energy Metals deposit in Sweden. And this is where you've got those big resources of uranium in the ground and Sweden potentially changing their political stance on it. So what's your take on district metals here and now? Yeah, so it's like I'm not a uranium expert. Well, I'm not an expert on any metal per se, like from a mining engineering perspective or anything like that. I have a lot of faith in Garrett because he's been, if you look at the news releases, like since district hit their highs around, I don't know, 40 cents a couple of years ago. I mean, he's just been adding projects, creating value, uh, drilling a bit, but it's like nobody cared about zinc. Absolutely nobody cared about zinc. I mean, the market cap went down to, I think, 6 million or something. Absolutely ridiculous. Like someone said that Garrett alone is probably worth more than the market cap. And I bought some shares when it was, you know, super cheap based on the base metal projects, because I think there's no chance that those three pretty good looking projects should be priced at $6 million together. But the market does only focus on one project at any time. And if it's sink and they don't care, it just can get ridiculously cheap. I mean, but based on the sum of its parts, like with Brixton, I, I think it, yeah, again, was ridiculous. So now they added a bunch of uranium projects. And the funny thing is like, it ran to, I think 28, 29 cents or something early last year when there was like, people had hopes that they would lift the moratorium, the uranium moratorium in Sweden. And that's when they only had an application for 67% of the beacon deposit. Since then, they added a bunch of uranium projects. And recently they announced 100% consolidation of the beacon deposit, which is, I think, the, either the largest or the second largest uranium deposit on planet Earth. So talk about super beta uh, to a uranium theme. It's like, does anyone know how much it would take to get that into production? Would they build a three billion ton mine? <laughs> I don't know. And it's like that probably take a long time if ever. But still, it's like just the threat of it, so to speak. And they have other projects as well. And there's obviously the uh, option of like storing small or whatever, whatever. Because again, it's kind of same with Brixton. I mean, district isn't pricing in any kind of chance of success or or you know uh, any any kind of economic deposit because if you just remove the base metal projects, which are certainly worth something, given that Tom Tebow, for example, they they have done a deal with Boliden of all, which is a major Swedish mining company. So it's like it's just ridiculous again uh, based on the sum of its parts. So it's like I don't again know that much about uranium, but I can appreciate the inherent leverage of having the second or largest uranium deposit on Earth and being backstopped kind of by a bunch of base metal projects and a deal with Boliden. So I just think that it's, yeah, uranium is hot, but it's like when, when you look at the market cap, 27 million Canadian, I mean, you, you wouldn't really guess that, oh, the uranium sector is super hot. But to that point, of course, it's because there is a moratorium in Sweden. But that just means that after this news release and they're, they're, getting, they're raising money, so some people uh, are obviously bullish on, I think, the moratorium getting lifted. So it's like, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen if they lift the moratorium and uranium is still hot, given again. I mean, it doesn't get more leverage, really, at face value than district metals. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Sweden moves forward with the moratorium. There has been a lot of political posturing on both sides of the aisle there, but the general takeaway I get from people following that jurisdiction is that it's looking encouraging. And even the statements that Sweden made at the COP28 conference this year were that they were changing their tune with nuclear energy. So you could see them tying that kind of a philosophy in with, hey, we need to start looking for domestic supply. And Sweden obviously has one of the very large uranium deposits. It's a little bit lower grade, but it's massive. And as Garrett has pointed out on our show before, there's a lot of other metals that come along with that uranium. There is like a whole mix of polymetallic uh, goodies in there that come along with the uranium, but you really need the uranium to work to make the whole thing fly. So it's going to be interesting. They're cashing up and it looks like they're going to have an exciting season in front of them at all these projects. Let's talk about one more though, Eric. We usually try to weave in something in the gold space and we've got something here with I-80 gold traded on the TSX under the ticker IAU and on the NYSE under the ticker IAUX. Really, I-80 is a mystery to both of us, we were saying as we were talking offline, because their market cap right now, people look at it and think, oh, wow, that's a big market cap for someone that's only producing 50,000 ounces this year. But I think a lot of people fail to realize that just the autoclave they have, the big processing center in Nevada that can process refractory ore, Ewan has said on our show a couple of times that to replace that in today's dollars with inflation, everything would be 1.3 billion. So just that autoclave is worth double what their market gap is now. Their Ruby Hill Processing Center is about another 150 to 300 million in today's dollars if they were to rebuild that. They've got 14.5 million ounces of gold in an old resource, but they've been drilling for the last two years at McCoy Cove, at Granite Creek. They found a whole new area there, the South Pacific Zone. They've also been drilling at Ruby Hill. And they have 180 million ounces of silver, which in and of itself could be a whole silver company. Again, just those resources would more than underpin their market cap. But then in addition to all that, the last two years, the market's gotten very excited about their polymetallic hits. There's a part of the Ruby Hill area, Blackjack, and uh, there's another area, Hilltop, that has these out of control zinc grades and you know lead and silver and gold all mixed together making them very zesty. And then I-80 also took over Paycor Metals last year because their FAD deposit, their FAD deposit, was right next to the Ruby Hill Polymetallics. And so when you add up all of that, I don't know what it's worth, but it's worth a lot more than what they're being given credit for. And while they have diluted some to raise capital to keep things going over the last year or so, their market cap's a lot lower than it was two years ago. And none of those ounces in the ground went anywhere. All of that infrastructure didn't go anywhere. And all they've done is continue to have successful drilling really at all their projects. So when you look at I-80 gold, Eric, help me make sense of it. What's going on with the valuation versus all the value creation? Yeah, I mean, it's just, again, so that's the funny part about this sector and the frustrating part that everything gets cheap at the same time. Like my buy list is way longer than my the amount of dry powder I have because I, I see no-brainers all over the place. And, and again, with no-brainers, I don't mean, oh, I know 100% sure I'm going to make money on this. In this case, I guess this is actually one of the more lower risk because you, you know with the amount of metals they have, if they're around for the next bull, which looks increasingly likely given, given that things get better and better in terms of fundamentals, uh, it's going to go up one day. And so just look, look at the short, for example. I think it's just a fascinating short, I-80. It, it has this tendency to like 
consolidate, then run like 50 to 100% in short order, top out, get sold off, consolidate, then run, then top, go down, consolidate. And this is being done in a you know, three-year bear market. I mean, they have basically only been trading in a bear market. So you have a bunch of, let's say, psychological and like context factors playing in here, I think. Part one would be, obviously, we're in a bear market. Sentiment is, I mean, has been getting worse over three years. So it's, it's been in a downtrend, meaning the discounting is actually increasing. Meanwhile, they are creating value. And then you have these periodicals like they need to raise money. And obviously, a lot of, I guess, brokers and stuff going to front run that. So it's going to be taken down. And, and since nobody wants to buy when they kind of know that they're going to raise money, so people sell. Yada, yada, yada. So you have a bunch of like typical human psychology, short-sightedness, playing the next catalyst. And again, if the market believes that's, uh, you know, they're going to raise money, that's like a bad carrot. You can never sell too low, really, because if you just assume that the next news release is going to be net negative, at least in the eyes of the market, there's no reason to buy. I mean, th- that's the idea of it, at least. So you have this very schizophrenic trading. I mean, to me, it looks like kind of, if you look at the tops, they've been going higher and higher, which makes sense from a, you know, they've been creating value. So they're increasing in value. But at the same time, the bottoms have actually been lower and lower as well. And I I mean, I guess, again, you can uh, chalk that up to dilution and uh, worsening sentiment in the sector overall. So again, it's absolutely schizophrenic. It looks like it's too cheap for several months. Then it rockets up closer to fa- fair value. Then it starts a downtrend and becomes too cheap again, like it is now. I mean, we, we talked about this. I don't remember when we talked about it, but I know we talked about it at some bottom at least. And then it went up 100%. I mean, it's, it's just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, th- this sector is a joke. And anybody that takes it serious, I think you kind of have to go back to the drawing board because th- this is how the quote efficient market works in, in the mining sector. Sentiment driven, short-sighted, and uh, nothing really makes any sense because I, I remember I just plotted some of the news items out of I-80 on the way down. I don't remember from which top. I was like, you would never ever have guessed the assay results they were putting out that that went with that chart <laughs> because it was going down and then there was like a 500,000 buy-buy the CEO and that, no, I think he bought for like a hundred thousand first or something and it still went lower. And then he bought for like 500,000 or something. Again, you have like some of the best asset results in the sector. You have huge insider buying and it still went lower. And then it revalued all the way back and, and even higher. So, I mean, it really is a joke. I mean, you, you can't take this sector seriously. This is a joke. It's a joke valuation. And yeah, you know, you can look wrong or right in the short term. Maybe it goes down more and then people, eh, it wasn't cheap. It is cheap. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. But based on all we know, like everything you just described, there is nobody that can convince me that this is a fair value for that. Based on all we know, there's nobody that can say that that is not too cheap for everything you get. And they've shown that they can create value as well. So it's not like it's some chronic value destroyer that's behind the wheel or anything like that. So no, I, I just think it's it's another fun example that 
especially based on the sum of its parts. It's like, and, and the same goes for the other two juniors. It's just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, if you just picked one project, that could basically cover the current market cap probably more for all of these companies. And you get all the other projects for free. I mean, how is this market hard as a value investor? I, I don't see it, how it can get much easier. It can get cheaper and then it's just even easier because in my opinion, these are no-brainers from a risk-reward perspective. Well, Eric, will wrap it up there. But yeah, it seems like the common takeaway in all three companies, Brixton, District Metals, and I-80, is that if you add up to some of their parts, their market caps are laughable compared to what they actually have with all of them, considering the partnerships they have. And we should mention that I-80, you know, their big concern has been an uh, overhang about how they're going to finance it. But on November the 7th, the company came out and said they've signed a non-binding term sheet for the joint venture of the Ruby Hill property. And so obviously that joint venture and Ewan's come on our show before in December and said that's because they're interested in the polymetallic side. And that's going to bring in, you know, if everything goes as planned by the second quarter of this year, if everything gets out and gets announced, you're going to have a major partner there that brings in all this capital. So that albatross around their neck is going to be gone, but all of the gold is still there. In fact, more gold than they even have in the resource because they've been drilling for two years at Cove and Granite Creek and Ruby Hill. There's all the polymetallics that haven't even been factored into the resources yet. There's all the infrastructure there. So the sum of the parts makes no sense. When you look at district metals, the uh, polymetallic base metals projects were already worth more than the market cap, not counting all the uranium projects they just brought in and all the potential there. And those are also polymetallics. I guess that's the theme here today, multiple metals. But maybe it's that investors have a hard time valuing companies that have multiple metals. Because when you look at Brixton, same thing. They've got some gold projects. They've got some copper projects. They've got some silver and gold projects in multiple places. And any of those projects by themselves probably underpin the market cap. But when you add the sum of the parts together, these market caps make no sense in all three of these companies. So that's the kind of market we're in. That's the kind of investor sentiment we're in. Eventually, this will all change. But for right now, I appreciate you coming on, Eric, and highlighting some of the companies that have your attention, some of the companies putting out news in the recent past. And if people like getting Eric's work, definitely click on the link below. It takes you over to thehedgelesshorseman.com, where Eric often rants on YouTube or writes up articles and discusses what he's seeing in the sector. It's a real value for investors that are following along with the junior mining sector. And until next time, Eric, always looking forward to our next conversation. The same, Shad. Thank you. And uh, yeah, consider me biased. Brixton and District are sponsors, so I'm twice biased in those cases.